to take this out so I can hear you better. Clip that there. I don't know. Every time I do this, it's like the first time I'm like, is everything fine? I'm the same way. I have to like test everything because even if I set it up beforehand, I'm like, I don't know. What if like some troll snuck in my home and like moved it around, you know? I do actually have like a troll in my home who moves my shit around. So it's like, <laughs> actually a concern. I like went away for a weekend and he like cleaned my office and I was more like, can you not go in my office? For what reason? It's not. No, I just like put my shit in piles and I'm like, great. Now I have to go back through these piles. <laughs> Brian used to do it too. He would like, he, I'd be like, oh, he's like, I cleaned. And then I would look around and it wasn't like cleaned. He just put things like organized. Like he would take like the lighters and like line them all up. And I'm like, mm. thanks. <laughs> That's being a serial killer, but okay. Okay, fine. Thanks, Daddy. Thanks. (laughs) I do have a troll in my home and moves my things around. My God, it is so annoying to be married. You spent money to marry him. A lot of money. (laughs) So much money. Oh, yeah. Guys, I forgot to mention, Brittany and I are being bad girl Riri's. And we're having a little... Well, she was having a beer first. And then she showed me... I will say, what is this, our 31st episode? Our 31st episode. I have never drank during an episode. I haven't either. So. I, don't think, I don't think I've drank. I've smoked before. Oh. It was like in the summer, mostly when I would get hot, I'd be like, well, I have to smoke before to lower my blood pressure. I had these edibles that, this isn't really a high thought story. They were gummies. I think they were only like 10 milligrams or something. Um, I would take one, fall asleep. Within the hour. Ooh. It was kind of lovely, but I was like, I would take one at like 7.30 and 8 o'clock at night. I'd be on my couch. I tried to watch Holiday in Handcuffs. I'm like, this is going to be such a gas. I'm going to be a little stoned. I'm going to watch Holiday in Handcuffs. That does sound good. And it was for like the first 20 minutes. And then I was like, I tried to find someone who loved Holiday in Handcuffs. It's like, I was like, oh, there must be like a community online that's like the stupid Christmas movie that's amazing. And everyone's like, this movie fucking sucks. And I was like, wait, that's the Hillary Duff one? No, that's Jenny McCarthy one. No, this is Melissa Joan Hart and uh, Mario Lopez. It's so good. Oh, excuse me. I forgot. I can't believe people are, people get really mad at Melissa Joan Hart. Actually, I have no evidence to back that up. Uh, maybe I should save this conversation for her episode because it's God, so good. Episode. That's a good episode. That one's so layered because like there was one problem and then there was like another problem and then there was another problem. They fit three problems into that episode. It's like truly twists and turns because you're like, OK, that one thing is really bad. And then this other thing you're like, well, that's concerning as well. And then they're like. I think we got time for one more concerning thing. We've got one thing. more. Buckle up. And it was thrown into the end. It was so- I'm going to come out sounding really bad in that episode because I still don't care. I know. And then the way they present. Like if he was like your run of the mill, maybe I would have been like, oh, that's bad. Nah, right. maybe not. I don't care. I actually don't care. Well, or it's like the <laughs> the really bizarre episode about... It was like the Mary Kay Letourneau one. Oh, and, and she's like, the whole time I had a brain tumor. <laughs> yes, the whole time she had a brain tumor. That, that made her a rapist. And I was like, is that a real thing? It made her like insatiable for sex, but then it also made her like a pedophile for a minute. Or was the argument that she was a pedophile, but because 
she was like a good person. She never acted on it. But then the tumor like basically pressed on the part of her that did impulse control. I remember it as after <laughs> after they shaved her head and removed the tumor. <laughs> and she's back on screen. And like, you know, what if like a head scarf? And she's like, I can't believe I did that to all those boys. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. She, she basically was like, oh, I love children. I would never hurt a child. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> like, what? I miss that because the last few episodes have been straight up bummers. I know. You're right. We go. I feel like I have a bad feeling that season two is going to be a lot of like straight bummers straight bummers a lot of like deep thought bummers because if you think about it we skipped over legacy which was a that was a bummer bummer. honor bummer bummer um michael 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 was (laughs) was a bad for reprieve (laughs) because they picked a grown man to play an abused 17 year old boy that's been kind of my favorite episode so far oh oh and legacy part two was was not I'm not gonna say it was fun, but it wasn't really a bummer because he got killed at the end. Also, they made it not funny, but like you know us as seasoned recappers of the show, it was rather funny because we had Tracy Paul and just like <laughs> crazy eyes in the whole time. Hi guys. Oh, oh, tell me, <laughs> Elliot Stabler's hat is what I'd like to call this episode, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh God. It was kind of like a nice surprise because I totally forgot that happened during my note taking. So I get to that scene. I was like, come again. So shocking. What the hell? For ESP, Elite Squad Pod. It's our 31st episode. Oh my God. I know. Law and Order SVU, season two, episode six, noncompliance. And boy, there's a lot of that in this episode. Very noncompliant episode. Original air date, November 24th, 2000, and directed by Elodie Keen, who I think is our first female director. Usually I'm like, Jean de Sagenzac, again. <laughs> Normally it's Jean. I, I, when you were about to say it, I was like, Jean de Sagenzac. I was like, oh, nice, a girl. Opening scene. So a construction worker enters a corner store or market, as I'm going to call it for probably the rest of this. He cheerfully calls out a greeting to Maggie, the store clerk. He walks in. He's like, hey, Maggie. And he goes over to the coffee pot and he sees that there's no coffee made. He goes, he kind of walks around like the one aisle. They keep making the store sound like it's huge. and It's actually genuinely small. Like teeny tiny. So he basically turns around and walks over to the register and he looks behind the register and he sees Maggie, the store clerk, lying on the floor. She's bleeding. She has a gunshot wound and her underwear has been partially removed. So the man's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he runs out of the store. He's in shock. He goes over to a pay phone. It's only about like three feet away. So he dials 911. And as the phone's ringing, he turns around to look back at the store and he sees in kind of an alley right next to the store. There's like tons of garbage bags just like, <laughs> it's like sitting there. like a pile there. of trash. <laughs> Truly. Probably just for this purpose. But over in that pile of garbage, he sees a body of a man face down and that man's crotch is bloody. Shocking. They just, just can't help themselves. We already had one, right? Yeah, no. In Michael, Michael, Michael. That was... Yeah. On we fire. Our, the crotch was on fire. We a running tally of the many things that happened to crotches. The male crotch. 
Seasons one and two, they just, they're like, ah, what should we do? Cut his dick off again? I mean, and they didn't even need to do it this time because typically they do that because they need to get SBU there somehow. They're like, why did they come? Oh, because the penis was cut off or the penis was on fire. But they actually had a rape victim this time. So like it made sense to call SVU anyway. But whatever. At this point, they just like it. They like it. They like it. It's probably just a funny running joke, and they didn't have social media back then, so they were like, who's going to call They're us? Like, a girl fucking 25 years from now isn't going to like write a podcast to like, break this down. Wrong. You were wrong. We are going to have to, maybe at the wrap of season two, we'll count at, thus far in SVU's run how many mutilated penises. <laughs> I talk about them a lot more than I thought I would. Also, it's such a dead giveaway. As soon as I saw that, I was like, well, that's the guy that did it. <laughs> We're going to spend an entire episode chasing and stigmatizing. And I'm debating whether or not to cut that whole portion of what we just said out because I'm like, it's a spoiler. It's true. Every time there's been a cut off penis, it's always been a bad man. I don't think there has been a non-righteously mutilated penis. I will go back and fact check myself later, but. It's just, it's just, it's trite. Trite. BNS respond to the scene. CSI tells him that Maggie was raped and shot, and the shot obviously caused her death. We weren't sure if she was dead from the first scene. The John Doe is still alive, but he suffered from a shit ton of stabbings. Back, chest, and genitals. They go to speak to the guy, the construction worker who walked in and found everything, and he is traumatized. He's just... He is, like, shaking. He's, like, stuttering. I don't know who this actor is. I liked this character so much. Alvin Maddox, I like you. So he tells Benson what happened, you know, everything that we just explained. And she asks him if he knew the John Doe. He doesn't. She asks him for his shoes so that she can rule out his footprints. And he looks down and we see that the shoes are just covered in blood from when he was walking around the store. And even though there wasn't too much blood, he saw blood going. I've got to mention that he saw blood going like from... <laughs> like the door to like behind the register but it wasn't all that much blood and he was like shoes are like covered in yeah it. now that i'm thinking back he has a suspicious amount guys it's not him he has a sp- suspicious amount of blood on his boots can Consi- like i don't know how they got up onto the toe of his boots yeah it's he, i was gonna say he would have to traipse through a puddle of blood. he would have to have been like splish splashing Inside the store, Stabler tells Benson that the Emmy didn't find fluids, so they figure that the perp used a condom. His theory so far, he explains, is that it was a rape in progress that was interrupted by a customer who is the John by Doe. a third the guy. A third guy. Oh, I'm sorry. Yay. I'm always trying to make things the third guy. Benson questions why, if the perp had a gun, because Maggie was shot, <laughs> then why would the other victim... Be assaulted with a knife why would he have assault why would he have assaulted the other victim with a knife so stabler says he probably probably something went wrong um or they're looking for a second perp a second guy a second guy i remember this opening scene super vividly from like ch- i keep saying childhood but i'm not that old <laughs> childhood <laughs> um and i remember it being like oh my god but i but then like it was i was like yes yes this episode and i was like i have no clue what happens next this is the only thing i remember there have been very few episodes we've watched where i've been like watched it and immediately knew who did it in the end oh and i wrote that i felt this i was like this opening feels so much more dignified we said this about i think the last one we were like oh this is the show that we thought we were gonna be yes and not like the the <laughs> shenanigans we had in season yes. one. Absolute and utter shenanigans. We haven't really had too many shenanigans this season. 
Dun dun. So back at the station, Stabler is telling the team that there was still money in the drawer, making them think that this was a rape that got interrupted, not a robbery. Cragen is like, who's our corpse? It was Charmer, that one. I wrote cute. Yeah, no, cute. Super cute. Um, her name is Margaret Sandemir. She works midnight to 6 a.m. as the night manager. And they're like, she was beloved by all. I'm like, didn't you guys just start investigating? Yeah, you haven't even talked to her mother Beloved yet. by <laughs> Alvin Maddox, the construction worker, maybe, but. I wonder if, like, other neighbors came over and they're like, no, she was beloved we by all. We all beloved her. She was very beloved. And they were like, okay, cool, noted. And then Craig and, oh, and then Craig Craig goes, not entirely. Beloved by all. Not entirely. Has the family been notified? He clearly means by those who knew her. Right. What? That was Margaret. Yeah, she was the night manager. Loved by everyone. Not entirely. Yes, Craigan. Duh. Um, the family has been notified and Stabler remarks that the mother took a sedative. There is no ID for the second victim. He's, I guess, kind of a mystery. He has like a few dollars in his pocket and some keys. And right now, BNS are thinking that this crime was committed by two different perpetrators just because one happened inside, one happened outside, one was very clean, gunshot wound, and the other was a fucking mess. Craigan and Munch push that it could be a, the same person with two different weapons, but no one knows shit. So Craigan tells Finn and Munch to go show the victim, go show photos of the second victim around that neighborhood to try to get an ID. And meanwhile, BNS are going to go talk to Margaret's family. Dun dun. So Margaret's mother tells BNS that Margaret was getting her PhD. I'm probably going to say Margaret and Maggie inter- interchangeably. Maggie, yeah. Margaret. So Maggie was getting her PhD in psychology during the day. Olivia asks if she had any enemies or if there was any trouble. And apparently there was an issue with a patient at the clinic, but her mother was assured it was taken care of. Why wouldn't you bust out with that? Right. No offense. I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, there was a big problem. There was a big She's problem. Being actually. Stalked. So Maggie was interning at a mental health clinic twice a week. And one of the patients fantasized that she, the two of them had a relationship. He stalked her. She can't remember his name, which I think I would remember the name of my child's stalker. Oh, I'm sorry. I cannot. I don't know. It's the beer. I keep being like, that's dumb. This is dumb. I don't appreciate that writing. No, that's why I've been stuttering. I'm like, oh, the wine. But anyway, she interned. Interned. She interned. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long episode. She interned at the HMH Clinic, Homeless Mental Health. What a stupid fucking name. (laughs) I mean, usually they call shit like that, like Bright Horizons or Sacred Home or... Yeah, or like, I almost said Friendly Hands. I don't think I'd ever bring someone to some place called Friendly Hands. The Gilded Sweet Nothings, like whatever the hell they want to call these. (laughs) Ugh. Um, yeah, I thought that was a, not a funny name, but I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be like that, huh? Sometimes they, like, bother coming up with names, and other days the writers are like, so what's the name of the clinic she worked at? And they're like, oh, well, they, they give mental health help to people who are homeless, and they're like, call it homeless mental health. So wherever we go to homeless mental health. Stabler asked to see the head doctor, who's Dr. Klein. She was also Maggie's supervisor there, and the receptionist tells him that Dr. Klein will be out of her appointment in 30 minutes. And he tries to be like, oh, yeah, this will just take a minute. We'll talk to her and be out of here. And she goes, yeah, and she'll be done in 30 minutes. 
Spencer gets a call while this is happening and then she gets off the phone. Maggie Stalker's name is Ben Moreland and Maggie actually had a restraining order on him. She suggests that they go check on Ben now and come back later to talk to Dr. Clients. And Stabler's like, no, nah, we'll just sit here. We'll wait and hang out. It's only 30 minutes. So, so he sits down. He's got no problem. And Benson just gets this look on her face like he has asked her to sit in a mud puddle. I was so shocked. Olivia very much was like, ew, mental illness. And was like looking yeah. around like everyone's dirty. I was like, Olivia. It's scary. Like she was like, and of course, they, the writers. <laughs> Yes. Sit her next. They sit her next to this man who has a tick. And, you know, like, I, I believe he probably has advanced Tourette's and he's making noises and kind of jerking. And so she's doing that thing like, oh, uh. <laughs> I'm like, Olivia, you're a police officer. Dun, dun. Crime scene slash neighborhood. <laughs> Crime scene slash neighborhood. <laughs> Finn and Munch are heading to their car so they can go talk to Ben Moreland because they were, I guess they were the ones on the phone with Munch, with um, Benson and Olivia. I'm going to start this over. I'm done with this line. <laughs> I'm putting it over God there. God damn. No, I'm no. feeling it too. <laughs> um, uh, so they're going to go talk to Ben Moreland since Stabler is forcing Olivia to stay in the homeless mental health center. They're discussing Ben's detainment for stalking Maggie, the details of that. So after about a month of stalking her, uniform cops attempted to either speak with Ben Moreland or approach him in some way because of his stalking. Um, and he began to swipe at them. They found when they actually detained him in that interaction that he had box cutters taped to his hands. So he was taken to court where he successfully pleaded insanity, and he was apparently telling the judge that the uniform officers had lasers for eyes. The judge sent Moreland home and ordered him to take his medication. Dun dun. Dun dun. So now we're at Moreland's apartment. Munch and Finn buzz at the door, and a shirtless man kind of like pops up by the window and calls hello, and Finn flashes his badge. So inside, um, Moreland was shirtless and he's pulling on kind of a dirty looking shirt and he keeps wiping at his face munch tells him that they're there about maggie and merlin's like okay well i'm not allowed within 500 feet from her when they question where he was the night before he claims he was at home by himself which we know is never a great alibi and munch tells him that maggie's dead um it's here that i start to realize that Morland is actually drooling and that is why he's swiping in his mouth and Morland's like well no i was just talking to her i I guess she did she call him? Yes, she called. It says um, after they tell her after they tell him that Maggie died, he, he seems genuinely shocked. Um, and he says that they had spoken because she called him to check on him. Uh, and it's because she referred him to a new doctor um, and she wanted to make sure that it was all going OK. And she was always really good to him. And he's like, that's probably why I fixated on her. She helped him get on disability and get off the street. Finn asks if he is following his court order to take his medication, and he's like, yes, I am on, I'm going to say fluf, flufenazine, which is a real antipsychotic drug someone suffering from schizophrenia might actually take. Um, and this is why he's drooling. So Munch, meanwhile, is flipping through Moreland's sketch pad and remarks he's very talented. There's also art all over yes. the walls. There's these big canvas paintings, and they are quite good. Tasteful. Yes. Um, and Moreland says he is only a talented artist when he, quote unquote, is crazy. Munch asks if the medication is helping. And he's like, well, on the one hand, I'm not having violent hallucinations. So I could hold down a job, but no one is going to hire me like this because I am constantly drooling and having tremors. So he's clearly not in the best place in that he's lucid. He is in treatment. 
But now, thanks to the side effects of his medication, he can't hold down a job. He's having a hard time coping with kind of everything to do with being on the medication, unfortunately. Yes. Now, I know um, one of the reactions to long-term medication for hallucinations and psychosis, there, there are a lot of unfortunate side effects. My understanding is that a lot of them are from long-term use and wouldn't necessarily be from short-term use, but I don't know enough to say that you wouldn't maybe start drooling after a few days or weeks of taking this medication. And everyone is different, too. Like, of course, you know, because like some of the side effects you get, even from birth control, don't affect other people. Right. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Back to <laughs> <laughs> the Homeless Mental Health Center. Dr. Klein is done with her patient, and she says that what happened to Maggie and what happened between, oh, no, what happened to Maggie, Maggie dying, was a tragedy, and she wants to help however way she can. Um, so then Stabler asks for a list of patients that Maggie had direct contact with, and she says, oh, sorry, not that. <laughs> that I cannot give you. She meatloafed you. She was like, I will do anything. This is awful. Not that. But not that. Although she explains it's because all her patients are unhoused, and because they're unhoused, they don't have addresses, so she's like, I don't even know what this list would do for you. Right. And then Stabler goes, okay, well, can you give us a schedule of when those patients would be in and out of here, you know, to get their medication? And she goes, also no, <laughs> because, right? And I kind of, okay, I see both sides, right? Yes. Everyone's trying to do their job here. But she was like, no, because it would completely traumatize them to be interrogated by the police. Not interrogated even, but like questioned by the police. Because as we know, a lot of people suffering from schizophrenia or I think very severe bipolar disorder, it's like very scary for them to be confronted by anybody, but especially people in authority, you know, and just they are usually getting harassed by people. So she said that it would surely traumatize them if they were to be questioned by the police in the center. It would make them feel less safe at the center, which would have an adverse effect on them coming back to the center to receive their medication. So she goes, you know, see, it's a vicious cycle here. You want them to be on their medication, but if you scare them, they're not going to come back here. I can't help them if they don't come back here. And Stabler's like, true, <laughs> but someone died. No, she was, he literally did say that she, he was like, okay, but with all due respect, this is a rape murder investigation. Um, so Stabler says they can get a court order. And I'm shocked Olivia didn't smack him. I know. She was like, that's my thing. I love how Dr. Klein is like, no names, no names. I'll give you a name. Mark Nash. That was hilarious. Yeah. So she goes, Ugh. Instead of ins harassing our patients, you should investigate the subject of Maggie's thesis, Mark Nash. And I'm like, well, how should would she have met him if he wasn't one of their Your patients? Patients. Um, and they're like, what? So Mark was a patient at the center, and he was noncompliant with the program, which does advocate for the use of medication, and he refused to take his medication or seek therapy. But Maggie's thesis reflected that the patient's right was to choose treatment whether, rather than be forced to take it. So Dr. Klein then kind of questions. She goes, but how can a sick mind even recognize that it's sick? I feel like people with these conditions actually do know they're sick. This this is a very nuanced topic. I'm sure some people do and some people don't. Yeah. But it's kind of funny that she's like, names, I won't give you names, except this one guy who doesn't do what I, what, what I agree with. So here's it. Fuck him. Here's his name. I'm like, so you believe in privacy for these people except this one guy who doesn't listen to you? Who's non-compliant. Mm. Yeah, well, if you really want a name, this is probably who fucking did it. Yeah. Because he's an unmedicated skis. Exactly. She's like, people with schizophrenia are not normally violent. Except this one guy, Mark Nash. And I'm like, 
Okay. Well, that's such a good point. Bitch. Yeah, because they do say she says in the scene she's like it's like gross the way people assume that they're violent and most of the time they aren't violent, which is Don't true. Don't you know how much stigma there is? Also true. So true. Back at the station, Olivia tells the gang that the lab results are back and there are three sets of footprints. The victim from outside and Maddox's. So I'm guessing the third is Maggie. Maggie? Based on my notes. So I guess they're looking for the third. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. You're right. So that's got to be. Yeah. So Stabler is looking at Mark Nash's record and there is no record of complaint. And Olivia is still on her bullshit. And she's like, "Hmm, well, there's a first time for everything. And Munch is like, okay, so you think he just went from zero to 60, basically nothing to rape and murder. And Olivia's is like, well, if he's not in his right mind. So Munch kind of defends Nash and he's like, how can anyone know if they're in their right mind? I thought he was actually going to have a, a valid argument, but he was more like, how does anyone know if they're sane? Right. Like, how can anyone even know that? <laughs> it's like, uh, that's why we have a structure of societal rules to go by. <laughs> Thanks, Munch. So Kraken asks about Moreland, and Munch doesn't think he's the killer. Finn says if he was seen lately near Maggie, they will find out. And then he makes kind of a rude comment that he couldn't be missed with all his tremors and drool. Now Munch again looks peeved at this. And he's like, listen, that's just the effects of long-term antipsychotics. Like, that's not his fault. Um, and Munch and Olivia get into it a little bit if patients should be forced to take medications, which is... Tr- kind of the crux of our episode of non-compliance exactly and i'm not even really sure what olivia's like they should just be forced to take their medication i'm like what do you mean by they that's kind of what is pissing me off i'm like do you mean all people diagnosed with schizophrenia do do you mean all people arrested who have schizophrenia she's just kind of like well to keep society safe we need to make sure they they all take their medication and i'm like what do you mean So meanwhile, John Doe is out of surgery and awake, and Munch and Finn are sent to go get his statement. Done, done. Uh, So I feel bad saying this, but I don't know. He looked like, to me, this actor, I thought he was the measuring man from Or Just Look Like One. Or, actually, before that, I thought he was the loser rapist who collected ashtrays and had two shirts. Yes. He looks like a lot of people. I thought he was someone who guest starred on an episode of Sex in the City, and he wasn't. He's some sort of Broadway guy. He's a very talented oh. Broadway actor. So he's in a bunch of pain. He's literally lying in the hospital bed. He's going like, Ugh. and I kind of, he was very good at it. And I had a little bit of PTSD watching him do it. I was oh. like, oh, well, he made me very uncomfortable. Like I was excited for them to leave his scene. Like he had like fresh cuts on his arm. I was like, it was Oof. grossing me out. Oh, and he was making all these pain noises. And like, I just remember (laughs) being in pain. And I was like, but for no reason, Finn and Munch are kind of awful to him when they walk in. (laughs) It was so funny because they're like, oh, hey, what's up? Does he still have all his parts? And the doctor's like, can you guys leave? And they're immediately like, oh, oh, yeah. Yes, of course we will. We just wanted to ask him a few questions so we can get the bastard who did this. But they come in hot. Hot as hell. They're just like, they don't even care. They're like, yeah, I still have all his parts. We just ask him a few questions. I feel like this doctor already knows them because kind of when they walk in, he's like, oh, God, can you just not be mean to this guy, please? His dick got cut They're off. They're just like in every other day, like harassing the patients. They ask, this, they ask the 
victim's name. It's Earl Miller. They ask if they can call anyone for him. No. They ask who did this to you. Miller says that it was a man, about 20s or 30s. He says that the same person attacked Maggie, but he doesn't identify her by name. He says, he attacked that lady. So <laughs> he says, <laughs> he's going, oh, and I was like, ew. Yeah, I was like, can we get out of here? Can we please leave? So Finn asks him to, lab- to elaborate on how the guy was acting crazy. Miller mutters, Russian something, before he basically passes out from the pain. Why does everyone need to quote crime and punishment? Dun dun. The streets. The streets. BNS go to the address listed for Mark Nash from the center. Yeah, she gave that address yep, out. Real quick, quick, huh? They find him asleep on the steps of the brownstone. They call out to him from behind that little gate that I explained. Yeah, so kindly in closure. I wanted to call oh, it disclosure it? part two, but you know what I mean. They call up to him and he jerks his head up. And we see that there's blood in his face and all over his clothes. He starts to recite some type of text about Russian Russian government. love poems. So Benson gets very uneasy and she starts to do that thing like, get your hands up. <laughs> Put your hands up now. <laughs> so then, but, but to, in her defense, he then literally he does have whips a knife. out a knife. <laughs> a very big knife. Um, he doesn't whip it out at them. Like He doesn't take it out of his pocket and go like start brandishing. He kind of just takes it out like, oh, wow, a knife. Um, but they tackle him. As they're leading him away, he says, I do not repent. I do not repent. Oh. oh. Benson uses a cloth to pick up the knife that Mark dropped. Dun, dun. In the mean interrogation room. I miss this place. In the role of Elliot Stabler today, may I present Miss Olivia Benson <laughs> doing her best. I have never seen her like this before. She's like, you can tell us what happened because we already know. She's like, did you have an episode? Did you hit her so hard her shoes came off? I like how she's asking a man. Leading questions. So finally, after Olivia's done haranguing him, he asks if Maggie died. And Olivia's like, you know she is because you killed her. Um, Stabler goes, wasn't there an episode where she was like, Elliot? It's her turn now. He goes, Olivia. She pulls out a picture and tries to show it to him of the crime scene. And he literally lurches away and kind of collapses against the wall. Um, Stabler is like, God, this fucking bitch. So he gets up and like goes behind him and is like, it's OK. Very close, of course. I mean, I was like, I thought I was like, oh, this is nice. But then he's like right up in his face. He's like, it's OK. It's going to be OK. Can you answer some more questions? And he just screams into the wall and they're like, <laughs> and they immediately kind of go, OK, like immediately they like lift their hands up and like walk out. They're like, all right, we're done here. So BNS leave the room and go to chat with Cabot. She says that his defense is going to ask for a 730, which I'm going to guess is the insanity plea or something yeah. like that. Uh, I may or may not have thought they meant like the 730 time slot for court. Oh, wait, that that could be it, too. So Cragen says they have enough evidence to commit him to a state hospital, but he thinks they need to sure up their case. There were some hairs found at the scene and Cap's like, well, I'll never say no to more evidence. So get a blood sample and match it. They and I wrote presumably Olivia is going to get a search warrant for his mother's place. You know she wants that search warrant because right now she's like, I don't like people with mental illness and I love search warrants. I love search warrants. So meanwhile, Nash's mother is escorted into the interview room by Munch. Um, She says she went to search for Nash when he didn't come home the other night. She went by the market and saw all the yellow police tape and since has been out looking for him. And she asks what Mark did. 
So Munch and Finn tell her about the attack at the store. And at first she's very horrified, but then she kind of gets their drift that they're accusing Mark. And she's like, my son isn't violent. So they tell her about the blood and the knife found on Mark. And she's like, Nash adored Maggie. So Finn mentions that Nash refuses to take anything, medication, and asks if he ever has. And she tells them that, yes, he has tried a bunch of drugs and he has not liked the effects. However, he does drink. Um, They ask if she owns a handgun, and she does. And she says she owns it to protect Mark against all the neighborhood ignorance. And she brings up how the media has demonized people with schizophrenia, which I'd like to point out they're not doing like the best job here. I was going to say, they're not really helping. They're like, this schizophrenic man stalked a woman. And I'm like, do you know how many non-schizophrenic men do that every day? Never to me. You know how many episodes episodes (laughs) women have already been stalked by people who don't have schizophrenia? Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Oh, one thing that I thought was funny when they were talking about getting a warrant to search... Mark Nash's house. Cragen said that they would get a warrant, uh, and then while the mother was there, they would go toss the house. Oh, yeah. Dun dun. City Hall. Again, we think, because every time they're somewhere that we don't know where it is, I think it's City Hall. I wrote City Hall question mark in your honor. So Alex is like runway walking through the halls, and it's just as powerful as Camille from America's Next Top Model Cycle 2. Yes. She's like, uh, uh, flip of the blonde hair, uh, uh. Power walking, and she's almost like startled to be stopped by someone. This person who stops her is Matt Wooding, and he's Mark Nash's attorney. They talk about charges. So they kind of like say hello and they start talking about charges. So Cabin says she's going for 10 years in a state hospital and court monitor medication for the duration of that stay. Wooding says that it's unnecessary, and Cabot goes, No. No. And stops walking. She's like, Have you seen the crime scene photos? Wooding says that they only really have evidence of Earl Miller's assault, the John Doe's assault. And she's like, yeah, but now he's missing a piece of action. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how we find out his dick's gone. Yeah. Oh, it's just like gone. Yeah, you're right. I I guess when she she said a piece, I was like, oh, oh, a little piece. Oh, I mean. No, but I think you're right. I don't think you could really survive a stabbing. I always wondered how that worked after missing a piece of action. She goes, eight inside. Five on compliance, but if I find the murder weapon, the deal is off the table. And I don't know what any of that meant, but it sounded hot. It did sound hot. Dun dun. Now we're at the Nash residence. BNS are now tossing the house with CSI. They go to Mark's room and it's cluttered with stuff. There's piles of clothes, beer cans. Honestly, I've been to men's homes that are grown ass men without a mental illness, and it looks like that. It always smells like grundle and pot. Grundle and pot. So then Benson goes, it all just seems so nutty to me. And I'm like, what? The piles? The case? The penis being gone? What? Yeah. She, What's she just nutty has to you? such a problem. She's like an angsty teenager. She's like, ugh, this is all so nutty. Sable then takes the opportunity to call her out for going so hot on Mark earlier. Kind of suggests that she mess up the interrogation. Which I guess, like, kind of? I don't know if he would have ever said anything. Yeah. Stabler's like, oh, he was about to talk. And I was like, I didn't really get that impression, but whatever. At all. So she goes, I asked the hard questions. And I'm like, yeah, true, Olivia. Let's get back to the underpants. She tells Stabler about one of her first cases out of the academy, wherein a schizophrenic man murdered his father with what sounds like an axe. She said that basically they walked in and he had chopped them all up. And it was apparently due to the fact that this guy had stopped taking his medication. Stabler basically says, well, you had one bad experience and now you're just like, you know, 
blanket statements blanket statementing everybody is how Paige is saying it and he asks if she thinks that we should be forcing medication on as discussed earlier I don't have a lot of context schizophrenic patients I guess is what he's kind of asking um and she goes if you'll get the job done it feels like a very young stance like in this moment I feel like she's never been younger to me like she's very young kind of like this is very kind of a dynamic they had in the first season where he was the seasoned professional and she was kind of not quite the newbie Cassidy was, but more of a newbie right. compared to him because he's basically like, I think you're uncomfortable with people with mental illness. And she's like, well, no, I'm comfortable with unpredictable and dangerous. And he's like, basically all the people they talk to are unpredictable and dangerous. I was going to say it. And uh, so far, 99% of them don't have a mental illness, but whatever, live. Yeah, like everything you do is unpredictable and dangerous. You're t- it's sex crimes. So meanwhile, they're interrupted by a CSI who comes in with a gun that was found in Ms. Mrs. Nash's lingerie drawer. Even though they're going to take it in for testing, he states it was not fired recently. So pretty much right away, though, they found a gun. It's not the gun. Dun dun. So now we're at the arraignment. Um, after the charges against Mark Nash are read, I wrote his divorce attorney. His defense attorney pleads not guilty. Cabot asks for a remand without bail. Um, and then when she asks for a psych eval to be done, the defense objects and says there's no need. He is diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Cabot states that the crimes were brutal and she wants to determine if his mental illness was a factor. So Nash is remanded without bail pending a psych eval. The defense pushes that Nash reserves the right to refuse medication, and I think the judge is kind of like, whatever. Yeah. I don't think the judge cares. Um, Nash is frightened looking, and he's led away as his mother looks after him. The judge in this scene is played by Tom O'Rourke, who was Anthony Schlosser in Sophomore Jinx. Do you remember that character? No. He's the security guard where Cragen tells that story. He's like, one of the bat when I was in college, one of the members of the basketball team got drunk and drove his car and crashed it into a student and broke his leg. And Stabler's like, how do you know this? He was like, Twas I who had my leg broken. And then he <laughs> and then he goes and yells at the guy. I do remember because when he said that name, I was like, Slosher sounds super familiar. And yes, it's that. I remember that now. It's from Season one where Cragen used to tell mysterious stories that always had twist endings. Like that time he took aside that security guard. Or no, it was the guy who had the the tape. And he was like, one time there was a golfer and the golfer did this. And do you know what happened? And the guy's like, he won. And Cragen's like, no, he lost. But he said he would have hated himself if he cheated or something. And the guy was like, just take this videotape. Yeah, I remember he was kept being like, well, one time there was a person who did XYZ things at XYZ time, and that person was me. And we were like, why is this happening twice in two it episodes? Me every time he would do that. I miss that. His little stories. I, and then I wish he had done it when he and Briscoe were having a steak talking about fucking being crazy alcoholics. That time I woke up in Mexico with, or was it Atlantic City with a gun in his mouth? He, he started in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I just want to say New Jersey if you don't know where that is. It's in New Jersey. And he woke up in Tijuana. Do you know how far away Tijuana is from New Jersey? Other side of the freaking country. Actually, you know what? Alexa, how long is the drive from Tijuana to New Jersey? Oh, God, that'd be like 36 hours. 
nonstop, it would take one day and 15 hours. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of drunk driving. That's a lot of or drunk driving. Dr- or, being or being hammered trafficked. and <laughs> getting on a plane. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Neither does Reagan. What happened? Sorry, I just had to reacquaint us. No, that with- was so funny. And now I forget the judge's actual name, but he's going to be in a lot of episodes. He's oh. one of our recurring judges. Dun dun. Um, oh, God. Scoat is here. <laughs> the Rikers interview room. Um, so this scene is like more or less designed to show us more of Mark. It's to kind of show us more because we only got a little bit of like what he's suffering from. Um, so Scott is sitting with him. Mark's rocking a little bit. He's holding his chest. He's breathing heavy and he's reciting a list of side effects that are caused by antipsychotic medication. Scott asks Mark if he would rather live in, quote, his world over reality. And Mark says, I'd be crazy not to. Scott then asks if Mark knows what happened to Maggie. And he says quickly, Maggie died. She was raped, too. He then begins to describe how he occasionally has feelings of hatred towards his mother and the psychology behind that. So he's kind of without boring. Well, it's not boring, but without like going too deep in it, he's like talking about like he's talking about how like that whole thing about hating your mother. Um, it's alluded to that Mark might have gone to school for psychology at one point before his condition worsened. And he says that Maggie always understood him. Uh, the mother thing is nothing. I just want to flag that. Yes. In the moment, they made it sound he's like, I occasionally hate my mother. And so you're like, uh-oh, what's that? You know what I mean? Is this going to be like a thing? Like, did the mother like force him to do it? It's nothing. Um, Skoda asks Mark if he remembers exactly what happened to Maggie. And so Mark says, this, he keeps going, he keeps saying the safe. And he rambles a little bit more. Um, so we did know that there was a safe there, right? Did they mention that before? This, I think, is the first time we're hearing about the safe because they specifically mentioned the cash register has not been emptied. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he talks about a safe. And then he's sort of just rambling um and that's all we get from him so dun dun bullpen so munch and finn walk in and finn says that miller the second victim id'd the loon gross out of the photo array and munch tells him kind of to knock it off he's like words have power don't talk like that so olivia tells them that ben moreland's prints were found at the crime scene and the hair found on the body is not Mark Nash's. So now kind of it seems like maybe Nash is out and Moreland's in. Which you're like, oh, okay, maybe. Yeah, dun dun. Now we're at Ben Moreland's apartment building. So we're outside, actually. And fun and min- Funch. Well, yeah, Funch. Uh, Finn and Munch approach the front steps and they see Ben Moreland's art, like the big canvas art, all of it. It's just lined up outside in front of the in front of the building. So his landlady's out there. She's sweeping the stoops or whatever. And she tells him that she can sell them the art for cheap. And they're like, you can't do this. What? She says that Moreland hasn't paid his rent in three months. So all of his stuff is hers. She says that she followed the eviction process because they're like, there's an eviction process. And she's like, yeah, I followed it every step of the way. But I don't think she did because and this was 24 years ago. But I'll just say it's a little hard to get rid of people if you're a landlord sometimes. It really is. They're like, take this all inside or we'll find you. And they leave. We're back at the center, <laughs> the HMH mm-hmm. center. With Dr. Klein. <laughs> uh, she says that she hasn't seen Ben Moreland since Maggie's incident with him. Benson's like, he was stalking her. I do kind of agree. I'm like, what a way to phrase well, it. She's super flip in this scene. She gives them the, oh, I don't really have time for this. They have a lot of patience. And they're like, your intern was raped and murdered. Yeah, they finally, they're kind of done with their shit now. They're kind of like, all right, listen, here's the thing. This is a fucking rape murder investigation, and you're being uncooperative, so we will throw you in jail for doing that. 
she says that she and her, you know, the, the center set Ben up with another clinic and she hasn't seen him since. Um, so I guess that was after the stalking <laughs> incident, as she put it. Um, and so he hasn't been back at since since then, because until Maggie died, she was still interning at Dr. Klein's clinic. Outside, Benson and Stabler are heading back to the car when Stabler gets a call, obviously. Ben Moreland is at the tombs, which at first I was like, oh, he died. <laughs> or I was like the library with the books. Are you talking about tombs? Like books? Oh, like tombs. I was like, that's a library. I was like, what do you mean? He's just in jail. He's in jail. So they picked him up on destruction of private property, but they don't get any more details on that. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, well, They're who like, cares? Dun, dun. So back in the mean interrogation room, Olivia tells Moreland that he lied when he said he hadn't seen Maggie based on those fingerprints. Um, so they ask him if he killed Maggie. And at first he just kind of stares at them and then he goes, yeah, in a really weird tone. And he's like, oh, OK, well, I did it. Um, I'd like to do my time in Creedmoor, just so you guys know. So Stabler's like, OK, yeah, um, first we need your full story. Moreland said he approached her to ask her to tell that quack, which I think might be Dr. Klein. <laughs> I think it's the new clinic oh. because she wasn't allowed to be at the old clinic because he became fixated on her and tried to stab people with razor blades on his fingers. Yes. He approached Maggie to have her tell his new shrink to change his meds, and she told him to leave. And Olivia, ever the mental illness haver hater, is like, that must have made you super angry. And he goes, sure. So Stabler asks if that's when he stabbed her twice. And he goes, yes. And then I hit her and she fell down and then I kicked her twice. Olivia's like, OK, so um, how did you kill Maggie? And he's like, oh, don't you guys know? And then he just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that's not funny, but like what? He's a- like, oh, I thought you knew that. He's like, oh, anyway. I'm really looking forward to my time at Creedmoor. They have an art studio for therapy. I bet they are going to give me my whole wall to like paint on. He's just smiling. He's like, it's going to be great. So Benson and Sailor are like, okay. Oh, this guy just wants to go to Creedmoor. It's sad. So I'm asking this question. Do you think, I I think he did go to the store that night, but I feel like it probably wasn't a bad interaction or anything. Like, Maybe it, maybe she did tell him to go away, but I couldn't tell if this was real or not. Like, obviously, they found his prints, but he very much obviously just wanted to go. He doesn't want to be on the medication, but he can't handle, you know, he wants to go somewhere safe. He can't be in the real world anymore. I think he probably went in, talked to her because that's where the fingerprints are. And she was like, you need to leave her. I'm going to call the cops. And he immediately does because he's on the medication and lucid and yes, realizes yeah. That that is what she'll do and was like, okay, 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 I'll leave. And then that that is my guess based on yeah. all information presented in this episode. Dun dun, bullpen. Craigan tells BNS to run a hair sample test on Ben Moreland, so take one of his hairs and run the test, and then cut him loose when inevitably it doesn't match. Because they're they kind of tell him they're like, nah, he didn't do it. He just wants to go to Creed more, you know. So then he announces the group and he's angry, of course. We are now down to zero suspects. Any ideas? So then Munch very soundly suggests Earl Miller, the second victim, the John Doe, with his peepee cut off. Yes. Benson goes, you think the second victim's the doer? Shut up, Olivia. Yeah, just- I have no patience for her this episode. So Finn notes that Miller doesn't have an ID. Benson's like, well, didn't he just move here? Munch goes, from New Hampshire, but they haven't heard of him either. 
which I thought was hilarious because what they mean is like he's never registered anything in New Hampshire. So there's nothing in like the state files or whatever. But I'm like, that would be very New Hampshire if they just called up like any DMV or town hall in New Hampshire. And they're just like, have you heard of Earl Miller? They're like, oh, no, never heard of him. He can't be from here. Lived here my whole life. Would definitely have heard of him. Actually, that's completely accurate. New Hampshire's fucked in that way. Finn also notes that Earl had no hits on any of the other databases. Stabler also notes that it was really strange that Miller was in Maggie's store when he claims to live 20 blocks away. Cragen asked what Miller's story was on the night of the attack, like what his like, you know, why he was in there. And he said that he was visiting a friend. He stopped into the store on the way home. So Cragen goes, does this friend have a name? It's one of those things when they realize. I know, they've been harassing all the people with mental illness in New York. And now they're like, oh, wait, we've had a suspect laying in a hospital like this whole time. And also, it's a little funny when you think about it. Why would anyone just, like, why would a rapist, rape in progress, go, you know what? I'm going to stab this guy's penis now. Like, who has time for that? So we're back at the hospital, and Earl Miller is eating soup like a goddamn animal. I was honestly, he looks completely different than the last time we saw him when he was grunting in pain. And I kind of want to shout out the actor because he's, we kind of, we know now, but he comes off very menacing. Even though he's just some sweaty dude in a Johnny. But I was like, wow. He's like smiling at them kind of like bashfully, but like kind of it's sort of like, you know, or almost like I'm not being serious, but it's almost like batting his eyes a little bit. It's a very bizarre kind of like interaction. It's weird. It makes everyone uncomfortable, including us. So B and S tell him they want to go over his statement. And they ask him for the name of the friend he was visiting. And here is where he's kind of doing what you just said. He's like, first he tries to evade it. Like, oh, why do you need to know? And finally, he's like, okay, look, it wasn't a friend. It was a sex worker. And they're like, oh, like at her house. And he's like, oh, gosh, like in her car. They're like, oh, what's her name? And he's like, oh, man. Oh, like, uh, you know, you don't get their name. Whatever. So he smirks and returns to his soup. (laughs) so outside the room olivia's like huh changing his story and stabler's like and did you see his posture total convict posture and i was like oh so that's why i was eating (laughs) eating soup like that yeah he was definitely hunching over just like he was kind of (sighs) like and like smiling yeah it was yeah he's a good actor (laughs) because i was like oh what's happening So Olivia flags down a hospital employee and asks if she'll remove his tray, bring it out to them, but not touch anything on it. So they're going to, like, get some sneaky DNA. Yeah, I would probably fuck that up immediately. I'd be like, oh, for sure. I'm going to help the cops. And then I go grab it and touch, like, the entire bowl. (laughs) Be like, whoa. I put the spoon in my mouth. I'd be like, sorry, here it is. Oops, I'm so sorry. Oops, sorry. I have intrusive thoughts. And Olivia's like, see, they should all be medicated. (laughs) Dun dun dun. Bullpen. So Miller, Earl Miller's DNA turns up in the system under the name Earl Gilmore. So he was arrested for armed robbery and spent seven years in Sing Sing, but no prior sex offenses. Olivia surmises that Earl Gilmore might have gone to Maggie's store to rob it, but then raped Maggie instead and was interrupted by Mark Nash as he attempted to defend Maggie. Cragen says that seven years in Sing Sing might have trained Earl's instincts towards rape, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> He tells Finn and Munch to go to Sing Sing to look at his record there. So once again, I wouldn't have asked, but they make us ask this question. Finn goes, can't they just send it to us? 
And like it's kind of like the Philadelphia thing. They're like, why are you? Why do we have to go, go all the there? way there? Yeah. Why are you? Why are you making us put the steps into our Fitbits? Craig clarifies, but he's annoyed. He doesn't want to have to be saying this. I get it. If I were the boss, I'd be like, why are you questioning me? But also, it's a toxic work environment, Craig. Exactly. Everyone should be able to ask questions. So Craig clarifies that some incidents don't make it into the file. Right. So now we're at Sing Sing. Um, and Finn and Munch talk to the warden? Yes. He gives them the file and he kind of asks the same question, Craig. And he's like, I don't know why you guys came all the way down here. I could have just sent this to you. Munch and Finn are like, well, we wanted to ask a little bit more about Gilmore. And the guy's like, not much to say. Like, basically that he got into like the typical prison shit. So it sounds like he yeah. got into like a few fights, but nothing major. And they're like, OK, well, that's all well and good. Can we like talk to the guards? that saw him to clarify and the warden is like no can you leave yeah he dr kleins them he's like i don't know why that's necessary bothering my guards and they're like because they dealt with him every day and they might have seen something that we should know about and he's like nah please leave (laughs) like literally he's like no and you can go so outside his office finn and munch are like this fucking guy so what they think is that he doesn't want to get in trouble for releasing a, a violent offender into the public. Um, and luckily, in the file is a schedule of the guards. Which is weird because they asked for the schedule of the guards. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, <laughs> it's right here. And right there is the name of a guard who saw Miller all the time. And also, it is the time where they change the guards. So they just go outside and go to the guard entrance. <laughs> and literally from a yard away, they're like, hey, hey. Are you this guy, Wheeler? He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like these two dudes like like creeping by the, I'm calling it the guard entrance because I don't know where the, there's no security where they are. Basically, Wheeler has no problem spilling the tea. He's like, that guy's a violent offender, should never have been let out. Here's what happened. On his first night in prison, he was sexually assaulted so badly he went to the infirmary for several weeks. Upon his return, he ordered the most steroids he could get his little hands on, bulked the fuck up at the gym, and then spent the rest of his tenure at the prison brutally assaulting all the newbies. The guy called it like attacking fresh meat. I have a couple of issues with this, obviously, but the main one being they said he bulked up and this actor is not necessarily bulked. He's just like, he's tall, I think. like swarthy. But also, I love how in jails, because it still happens, they'll like, yeah, oh, this guy was assaulted to the point where he had to stay in the infirmary for like seven weeks. But then they don't like, we'll keep you in the hospital so we heal your wounds. But then we're just going to send you back out there with that guy. You know who it probably was, guys? Everyone, you know, I bring up Oz. It was probably out Dr. Emil Skoda, because that's what he did in Oz. Oh. <laughs> it really is awful, because I'm used to seeing his Emil Skoda. And he's soft-spoken, kind of annoying. He annoyed the shit out of me this episode, and he didn't even do anything wrong. He actually did practically nothing, Brittany. I'm surprised. I can't wait to hear why. Um, No, it's just I think I'm now annoyed at him from that time that he basically just told Cat, like, Cabot was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to have to find the evidence. He's like, yeah, like, you just need to go out and find it. And she was like, yeah, I Thanks. said that. Anyway, anyway, dun, 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 Cabot's office. Cabot says that all of this, I will not be clarifying what this is. If you've been listening, you should know. All of this is circumstantial. And Mark Nash is an incredible witness due to his psychosis. 
She tells them that they need to find the gun that killed Maggie. Mrs. Nash's gun was not a match, as we said. So we head back to the Eastop Market because BNS postulate that because Earl Gilmore was so brutally attacked after, he could not have gotten far when hiding the gun. So it must have been basically in the trash heap with him. So they're just they're inspecting the trash and they're like, there's less trash here than there was before. And then a nice guy comes out and he's like, yeah, they take it every Wednesday. Like, that's what happens with trash. It has been at least two days, four days, and they are in shock that the trash is not there anymore. They're like, oh, my God, where's the trash? And the guy's like, I don't know. Luckily, Eagle Eye Stabler spots a dumpster with a name on it. So they go to the trash. And they ask the nice trash people, they're like, can you find our trash? And the guy's like, I know where all the trash is. What do you want? And they're like, oh, it's from a week ago. And he's like, yeah, that trash is headed to Virginia. And they're a aghast. They like look out towards a trash barge going off into the sea like, there goes our trash. There goes the trash. And he's like, no, no, it's not that trash. We just told you it was trash from like six days ago. It's, it's been gone. It's already in Virginia. Captain Porter would like to know why the trash was not properly searched Day of? during the initial. Like there's a body right. lying on the heap of trash. It wouldn't kill you to just kind of poke around a little bit. I agree. And it seems like one of those errors, like, you know, when at work you're like, ah, shit. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of sounds like one of those where you're like, fuck, typo. Dun, dun. Cragen's office. Alex tells Cragen that they can't force Mark to take his medication against his will. Cragen asks if it's possible to make the argument that he exhibited violent behavior without it. Alex has no dice because they still can't technically prove that Mark was the one who killed Maggie. So at this point, they're trying to, I should have said this before, they believe Mark didn't do it. They think that he probably was the one that stabbed Earl Gilmore, basically. And they're trying to get him out of this, but they also need a confession. Or they need to hear his side of things because they can't pursue Gilmore as a suspect if they, if they don't have it. So Mark's mother refuses to sign off on forcing Mark to take his meds. So she's, it has to be Mark or his mother to sign. And Cragen's like, well, I guess we're out of auctions. Gilmore walks on murder and now she goes to jail for knifing him. So this part I thought was weird because at first they're like, th- Alex is like, we can't prove Mark did anything, but now Craigan's like, guess he's going to jail. <laughs> I'm like, wait. Wait, and they're like, I guess we're out of options, and Cabot's like, yeah, we are. Well, I'll go try to cut him a deal so that we're, I'm like, so you're not out of options. So at Rikers, Nash has a very nasty black eye, and he's sitting there as Cabot makes her case to his defense. She says she needs a credible statement from him. Scott is there too, and he's like, listen, we will give you an injection of an antipsychotic that lasts a month. I've never heard of this. Not to say that it's not a thing. I have just never heard of a monthly psychosis medication. But, however, he does postulate without proper care, he may be unequipped to deal with the real world. Um, As they're talking, Nash starts to call out, no, 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 about taking the medication. And then Cabot comes over to him, looks him in the eye, and is like, who did that to you? And he's just kind of sad. And she's like, listen, if you take the medication, you can go home. And he agrees. Dun, dun. Mean interrogation room. Munch and Finn are leading in Earl Gilmore. He's got a walker. And again, he's smiling all like, this actor's very talented because he's smiling sweetly, but he still manages to make it creepy. He's very really menacing. He asks if they're going to do a lineup and Finn's like, there's no question. Guy shanked you. Munch says that they do need to ask him a few questions because Mark's account of things is contradictory to his. So Gilmore's like, you're going to believe that nut job over me? 
but they ignore him and they start asking these back and forth back and forth questions about the account. Munch asks why Mark wouldn't have shot Gilmore when he realized that he was there because allegedly Mark had a gun when he was attacking Maggie. Gilmore says that Mark came after him, like ran after him and Gilmore ran. He started ducking around the aisles, which again, I'm like, what? I know. This was like a (laughs) tiny store. It wasn't a fucking Shaw's. Um, He says he was ducking around the aisles, so he maybe Mark didn't think he would have good aim um, or get a good shot on him. So then Finn goes, is that when he stabbed you in the back? And he's like, yeah, hurt like a bitch, too. (laughs) Ugh, I never, it's true. I never want to get stabbed. Oh, my God. Munch goes, yeah, but what if you're our perp and you get stabbed? There's a big struggle. You crawl out on the street. You got to get rid of the gun, so you hide it in the trash. And he says all this in, like, one breath. I didn't do it so well. Finn goes, smart, but if I'm Gilmore and I have the gun, why wouldn't I just shoot the guy with the knife? Because he thinks he's alone. The clerk's dead, so he puts the gun in his pocket. He got attacked and he couldn't get to it fast enough. He's fending off knife blows from behind. How's that sound? And Gilmore goes, I want a lawyer. So in summation, if you couldn't follow me, they believe that Earl Gilmore went in to rob the store, saw Maggie, decided to sexually assault her instead, maybe didn't have time to commit the robbery. Mark walks in. During the assault after, Gilmore's already put the gun away because he thought he was just alone with Maggie. And then he's getting stabbed from behind by Mark. He doesn't have time to defend himself. He ends up crawling outside into the garbage where he belongs. And with his last, like, not dying breath, but with his last shred of consciousness, hides the gun. Maggie was truly killed in cold blood, if you think about it. Like, he attacked her and then, one, I think, one shot to the head. Dun, dun. So we're now somewhere where a doctor is preparing an injection for Nash. Um, Nash's mother bursts in and tries to stop this from happening and saying it's not what he wants. There's kind of like a lot of back and forth here, but basically she starts to threaten to start legal proceedings to stop this whole thing from happening and says she will find another way to keep him out of jail. She looks to the defense attorney who just tells her, look, this would be months and months of legal work yeah and just kind of like shrugs at her she finally relents and he is given the drug it's sad too because like they have an interaction where she knows that he's not violent and she doesn't want to force him to take these medications because it makes him miserable you know he's rambling at her and he's saying you know i can't go back to jail there's microwaves in the cells and you know i'm spitting up blood and so she goes to touch his face and as when she touches it he goes oh, you cut me she relents like, you know, like, how can I send him back to jail like that? So dun dun, we're in the mean interrogation room. Gilmore is in there with his court appointed attorney. And these people always fight super hard for them. Like, I don't know how I'd feel. They'd be like, this guy is a violent rapist and he probably killed this girl. You want to defend him? I'd be like, um, no. I'd be like, yes. And then they'd be like, all right, what do you think? And I'd be like, he pleads to the death penalty. Yes, he does. And the guy'd be like, fuck, fuck, what are you saying? And I'd be like, he pleads to two death penalties. Make it three. All the death penalties, sir. Your Honor. Have you seen Cape Fear? Not in a very long time. That's the premise of that story. Well, the, well there's like many versions, but the, I'll just do the Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte version. Nick Nolte, the lawyer, was Robert De Niro's lawyer. And he knew that he was guilty, so he threw the case on purpose. And Robert De Niro, like, kind of had a feeling. So when he got out of jail somehow, it was, like, his life's goal to, like, get back at his lawyer. Yes. And that's how come I would defend my sick, crazy rapist client to the death. I'd be like, well, in my defense, in my own defense. He might come kill me. He might come kill me. And, like, I'm more important than everyone else. So, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. (laughs) 
Uh, the court-appointed attorney says they've got basically nothing, because that's what they always say. They're like, you got nothing. And Cabot says that they have a potential witness and DNA. And dumbass Gilmore goes, not possible. <laughs> okay. Goes, too bad your client. She basically goes, too bad your client's a fucking moron. She goes, your client is a very stupid man. <laughs> In the middle, she's about to say something else. And Gilmore goes, who are you calling stupid, you scum-sucking bitch? She looks at him like she can murder him with her mind, but she's like, mm-mm. Not today. Not today. Uh, she goes, plead to life now or wait for my witness's statement and end up with a potassium chloride cocktail. I love the way she talks, Stephanie March. So meanwhile, the gang is with Nash and ask him for his memories of that night. Um, he tells them he was in the cold case and he's like, I like beer. I was like. I don't think you need to mention that, but whatever. So he's in the cold case. He likes beer and he hears a pop. When he goes out to investigate, he sees Gilmore standing over Maggie. And though he didn't witness the rape, he knows that this guy did it because he was, in his words, exposed. Searching through her pockets, looking for the keys to the safe. And this is when he grabs a knife and stabs him. He says he saw the bulge of the gun in his pocket and then he admits to redressing Maggie because he knew she wouldn't want to be seen like that. And he starts to cry. So this is where I got confused. And I'm glad you said cold case because they're like, why didn't you call the cops? Why didn't you stay there? Like, why did you just leave after you stabbed him? And he's like, he's basically like, for what? You know, like my friend was dead. And he says he brutalized her. He threatened her with a gun. And she didn't call for me once. She didn't make a sound. Not one time. I was like, that's first of all. I'm like very much first of all. thought that was very sweet because she obviously probably didn't want him to get hurt, you know, because I don't think she knew he had the knife. And she probably thought, you know, if I call out and scream for him. Anything like that. He could get shot and killed. Um, I'm also glad that you said that he was in the cold case because I just pictured him in this tiny establishment standing in front of the beer. And I'm like, how come none of them saw him there? Why didn't he hear it? Like, I mean, it's still he's close enough that it's weird that he didn't hear anything. But I mean, I guess if you're in the cold case and it's kind of got that condenser going like really loud Unless Earl walked in there screaming at her, being like, get out of the ground. But most likely what he did was walk in, hold the gun at her. Sketchy and then pulled the gun. and Yeah. And she probably was just like, you know, again, because he said she didn't scream or anything. He probably just did this and like tried to do whatever she needed to do to get out of it. And he shot her anyway. Um, And that's when Mark heard the shot and he came out. Mean interrogation room. Munch and Cabot walk in. They arrest Gilmore together. His lawyer basically goes... Keep your mouth shut for both of our sakes. And she leaves. <laughs> bye, Earl Gilmore. Bye. They sort of machete'd that one. They're like, bye, Earl Gilmore. Bye. And we never see him again. We never see him again. Dun, dun. To the streets. To the streets. Uh, um, wow. Uh, Benson and Stabler are at a hot dog cart. And Stabler is wearing a Peaky Blinders hat. My exact notes go, Olivia and this charming little newspaper boy from the 1930s are stopping to get lunch. I don't believe he wears this hat ever again, except maybe now that he's bald. Like maybe in organized crime, he wears this hat. I, I, I think we would have. Re- well, then again, I've seen this episode, but I think we would have remembered this hat. This is. It's his fashion is so confusing. You're telling me this is the same man in the, in the Jimmy Buffett Hawaiian shirt from a few episodes ago. It's just such an odd hat. He's not a, he never wears hats. No, actually, I was just thinking that. I was like, not to be offensive, but he doesn't really need a hat. You know, some people, they wear a hat and you're like, oh, don't, don't do that. You know what I mean? And some people can really pull off a hat. Yeah. Yeah. So very odd. It's very much Brian's hat. 
Oh my god, did you see Brian's hat? Oh fuck. Ha 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 ha. What the hell? Olivia says, when you asked me to dinner, I thought we might be sitting down. And I was like, I thought it might be a date, but whatever. Stabler tells her, yeah, we'll sit in the car. Ha ha ha. They rib each other. But for the second episode in a frickin' row, he receives a distressing phone call to wrap up the episode. Actually, this might be the third episode in that, a row. That's, it, it's, that we end it's on a bummer another, phone call. Mm, I won't say it, but... But that's okay, because... Hey! Who is it? Actually, I don't like her first appearance, Dramatic. but that's okay. So done, done. We go to the ME's office. Benson and Stabler rush in, and they literally, in unison, stare in just utter shock. Somewhere off screen, we hear a voice say from the corner, Melinda Warner, are you the SVU detectives? And Melinda Warner floats past them. She sounds unimpressed. <gasps> Tamara Tooney. She's just like, did you do this? <laughs> I wrote, yay! And I'm like, ba-boo, there's a body. And we're not sure who it is at first. Kind of, I was thinking it'd be one person. So Bannis literally can't stop being shocked. They just can't. They look like they've dead ass seen a ghost. It's like that exact description. So then Melinda goes, strangulation, belt around the neck and a hospital bedpost. And the camera pans to reveal that it is Mark. So Benson goes, why? And Melinda explains, the meds made him lucid, but with the voices gone, so were his friends. Loneliness led to depression and then to suicide. Can't face a reality you're not used to living in. Stabler asks if Mark's parents have been contacted. I'm like, plural? (laughs) You mean his mother? And Melinda says his mother is going to come to identify the body. So then we cut out to the waiting room. We see Mrs. Nash sitting there waiting. They approach her and Benson gives her a very genuine condolence. She says, I'm very sorry that this happened. Mrs. Nash allows him to finish, stands up, pauses and says, go to hell. And then she pushes past them. And we see from behind that she enters the coroner's room where Mark's body lays on the table under a blue sheet. Executive producer Dick Wolf. Now, I have to sit here and say, is this possible? It has happened in the history of the world that someone died by suicide after taking medication because they missed their hallucinations? Possibly. But that is a very dangerous statement to make. It is. Are people affected by schizophrenia more prone to suicide than maybe the average person? Yes. But that's not the... (laughs) That's not what drives them. No. That is a very fucking dangerous thing to say. Holy shit. Now, I think what they were trying to show is that I think it is possible that someone who is affected by schizophrenia goes on meds and then does find themselves lonely because they're isolated from other people because they have this illness and maybe that leads to suicide or other things could happen. But also, he was in a hospital. People should have been monitoring him. He basically got a Gina Silver award. I was going to say, I didn't want to spoil it before we found out who it was. But yes, this was a Gina Silver. We've had so many Gina Silvers. This is this is the most Gina Silver. There are more Gina Silvers than in Gina Silver's season. Gina Silver didn't even get Gina Silver the way. I mean, she got she she got lucky, but just to remind maybe new listeners, how they Gina Silver was a victim from season one. Her husband was physically abusive and threatened to kill her, almost killed her multiple times. He got let out of jail, and the SVU detectives did absolutely nothing literally nothing to protect her from him when he was let out of jail and he tried to kill her 
And then they were shocked. Shocked. And then Benson had to murder him. Not murder him. Benson had to literally shoot and kill him, I think. She did. No, that is her first and only kill so far. Uh, so that's the Gina Silver Award. So now we award it to any anytime the SVU detectives drop the ball and someone dies. Yes. I will say this episode did get some stuff right. I appreciated, first of all, that they pointed out how stigmatized people affected by schizophrenia can be. Um, they are correct. The side effects of antipsychotic drugs can be very severe and include involuntary muscle spasms. I appreciated Munch calling out Finn for using the terms like nutcase or yes. other derogatory terms. I would be, I guess, remiss if I didn't say if you or a loved one is struggling with their mental health, please reach out to your local chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness or check out their website if you would like to learn more. That would be NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org. And if you or someone you know is in crisis, help is available. Call or text 988 for free confidential support 24-7. And I just learned, this is not as professional, but um, New York City, where I live, Talkspace, it's now free for teenagers in New York City. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Which is weird that I would think that teenagers would be listening to this because we do swear a lot and we talk about a lot of sensitive <laughs> topics. But if you have a teenager, you live in New York, then you're not really sure. Talkspace is now free for teenagers in New York City. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. With a message. <laughs> we got a message. We don't have the answers, but other people do. <laughs> and go talk to them. Um, the next episode that we're going to be covering, we'll, we'll figure it out when we're recording next, is called Asunder. And it, mm. yeah, um, this actor, I already know this actor. I forget who it is, but Nestor Serrano, famous hottie. Well, I will see you, Brittany, very shortly. Yes, ma'am. For a secret reason. Hmm. Uh, and I'll see you guys probably never. I don't even know who you are. Oh, my God. Ew, get out of here. <laughs> Ew. Stop stalking me. Olivia will take offense to it. Sweetness. Uh, sweetness. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.